This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. Butler. Dr. Butler is an associate professor of religious studies and Africana studies at the University of Pennsylvania. She is a highly sought after commentator on the BBC, MSNBC, CNN, the History Channel, PBS. She's all over the place and she regularly writes opinion pieces covering religion, race, politics, and popular culture for a number of outlets. Dr. Anthea Butler, I am so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Marie. I'm happy to be here. Indeed, indeed. And you have a a new book out, White Evangelical Racism. I have started to dive in. It is on my Kindle hot like fire as we speak. And I was excited when I saw that this book was coming out because I think that there is the time is ripe (laughs) for this type of conversation. And and so I want to start by asking you, and and I got to let people know, because I I know that you were also on air with my good sister friend, Eljoy Williams, for the Sunday Civic Show. And one thing she said that I think needs to be bear repeating here before we even get started. Now, Saints, ain't nobody coming for your Jesus. (laughs) Ain't nobody coming to, to make you upset with the Lord on this morning. But we are going to have to have an elevated, more nuanced conversation about the dynamics of of religion, politics, race, and Americana. And so I think you, Dr. Butler, are the perfect person to have this conversation with. I want to start by asking you, is there a difference between Christianity and white Christianity? Yes. White Jesus, white supremacist Jesus, white nationalist Jesus. Can I go on? Go, yes, please. <laughs> because the Jesus in the Gospels who, who, who talks about loving your neighbor and everything else is not white Republican Jesus. Mm. And that's who I'm writing about. And I think that, you know, this may hurt some, some folks out here. So get ready. You know, clutch your Bibles. Uh, black people have ingested a lot of this white Republican racism Ooh. couched in evangelicalism. And part of the reason why I wrote this book was not just about exposing the racism in evangelicalism, but for, uh, for us as African-Americans and for many of us as Christians to understand the ways in which we've been hoodwinked and bamboozled by this. Mm. How does that, that black embrace of, of some of the racist elements of white uh, evangelical Christianity, how does that show up in the black community and, and in the black co- religious community in particular? Well, you know, I think right now I'm going to give you a great example, which ties into something that's been going on for the last couple of days, two or three days on Twitter. Who's this Jackson guy who cheated on his wife? <laughs> ah, Derek Jackson, okay, yes. So let me bring this in to make it make it whole for y'all. See, this Jackson guy who's been telling y'all about marriage and everything else and how that's supposed to work out and how you're supposed to be faithful who was sleeping with all these people and sleeping with somebody in his wife's bed. That's mm. exactly what white evangelical men do. They tell mm. you that you're crazy. You're the one that needs to be pure. You're the one that needs to be submissive to your husband because he is the headship and ruler overall. And this man has been out here messing around, bringing all kinds of stuff home to his wife. Mm. And he expects the world to forgive him. And this is the kind of hypocrisy that I'm talking about in this book, because when you think about figures like Ted Haggard or Jimmy Swaggart or, uh, dare I say it, uh, Jerry Farwell Jr., Mm. who was watching his wife have sex with somebody else, Mm. this is the kind of hypocrisy and racism I'm talking about. 
Now, for the, that song you just heard was somebody's clutched pearls cracking under the weight of the pressure. So for those of you who don't know the story of Jared Jackson, he is a black male relationship guru who has become quite internet famous for his uh, peppy talks that he gives from the front seat of his car, breaking down all the reasons why men cheat and what should happen and how they should correct themselves. And then all this advice, he's literally a relationship guru, busted, busted, busted for cheating and being everything that he was talking about. So that type of hypocrisy where, uh, you know, you can be as ruthless and brutal and hypocritical in your day-to-day affairs, but as long as your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life then forgiveness mm-hmm. is owed to you. I, I used to often say, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, that uh, a friend of mine used to have this comment about how as Christians or as black Christians, we have like, it's like a credit card for salvation. Like I might mess up my whole life, but if on the day of my departure, I am able to cry out to the Lord, forgive me for all I have done, then it doesn't matter, right? So Thomas Jefferson can be in, in heaven, but Malcolm X, because he didn't have his name written in the Christian's Lamb Book of Life, might not be. What are your thoughts on that that's type a, of paradigm? That's exactly correct. And this is this is what I'm trying to get at in the book is that, you know, it's very convenient for white evangelicals, but for other evangelicals as well, to pretend like the things that they do are automatically forgiven with like that credit card for salvation, right? Mm. I'm always going to get off and the rest of y'all will never get off of your sins because of this. And I think that that's an important part that we need to really address and to start to hold people accountable for what they do. Mm. Because this is not, you know, the, the atonement didn't happen because of the credit card. Wow. It happened because Jesus Christ's blood was shed on the cross. Mm. That ain't a credit card. You can't just keep cashing that in thinking, ain't nothing going to happen to you. Wow. And with, with white evangelicals and with, you know, black evangelicals who subscribe to this kind of white Christianity, you will find that that's going to hurt you more often than not. And it mm. makes you reprehensible in other people's eyes because wow. you are not being true to the gospel. Now, when we're talking about white evangelical racism, in, in your book, you, you start by talking about this, this history of the evangelical movement and the racial elements. And you say, here's the hard part. This is right in the intro. So y'all get the book. I'm just telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your wig, straighten your edges, and then allow them to, to kink up again. Uh, you talk, start by saying the racist and racial elements Uh, that imbue its beliefs, practices, and social and political activism. That is sort of at the heart of white evangelical racism, because unlike, you know, the, the mythical separation of church and state, what we are seeing is the fusion of that evangelical belief structure infiltrate and dominate the political conversation. How does that correct? And I think you can see that so well, you know, with what happened on January the 6th. Mm. You know, with with the insurrection at the Capitol, all those things where people said, you know, oh, you know, we got to have a godly nation and we're going to fight because we don't believe this election is is right, because they thought Donald Trump was really appointed by God. Mm. And and why is Donald Trump appointed by God for them? Because he's white. Uh, Barack Obama was a Christian. He was president of the United States. And nobody think he was appointed by God. So, you know, black folks, maybe. Mm. You know, and so you have to start to interrogate these things. And I think one of the things that what I was trying to say in the the book at the very beginning is that you have to look at this. You can't just say, you know, evangelicals were abolitionists. You can't just say that they did all this good stuff, that some of them were involved in civil rights. But they didn't want civil rights. They still wanted slavery. It's why you have the Southern Baptists and the American Baptists. Mm. It's, it's, It's a really serious part of this, the foundational stuff that's in evangelicalism that everybody thinks has been nice and that they're moral, but they really aren't. Mm. 
So you mentioned slavery, and, and I got to ask you, how does the development of Christianity in the context of American slavery shape what's happening with race relations today? Well, one of the things I think is really important for people to sort of understand is that even the ways in which, you know, Scripture is read and understood mm. is, is a part of this. And I tell a story in the book about how, uh, you know, a, a black Christian speaker went to go talk, uh, give a talk, and that what happened to her was that a man came up to her and said, well, you know, uh, according to the Bible, you're not really like human. You're not the same creation as white people. Mm. Now, where did that come from? That came from people thinking that, well, there's two uh, creation stories in Genesis. This right. is something that was used during slavery. Yep. And they said that the first creation was a mistake and black people were like apes. Mm. All this ape-like imagery that people use, and, you know, this is hurtful, but I'm, I need to talk about it because I think it's really important. All the racist imagery that was used about around Michelle Obama and Barack Obama and the Tea Party and everything, and people were saying that wasn't really something big, it was back to that kind of stuff. Or mm. if we want to think about after slavery, let me give you this one because I think this is really important for people to hear, and it ties in with all these kinds of beliefs about marriage and family. What happens in, in uh, the Reconstruction era? White women get put up on a pedestal. They get to say that they're more virginal than anybody else. Black women are looked at as being overly sexual. Black men are overly sexualized and branded as rapists. And white men are the ones who are supposed to protect their families. Mm -hmm. So all this thing about family values that goes through, and every time you hear one of these, you know, evangelical preachers or, you know, politician or somebody says, well, you know, black families are in trouble and they're broken and all this other stuff, that comes out of the 19th century. Mm. That's out of racist ideology. It's not just something that they just made up 15 or 20 years ago. Right. Right. And so let's talk now about the impact on the black religious experience. Uh, we've seen, you know, whether it be uh, uh, movies like the, the Birth of a Nation, not the original, the second one uh, that looked at the story yeah. of Matt Turner. Uh, when it comes to stories about how, you know, Christianity or, or the church and its roots in the slave experience and, and in those the, that antebellum era, there are some belief systems that we have embraced, as you mentioned in the beginning, that are fully racist on their face. <laughs> or I should say anti-black. Let's just make it as, as explicit as possible. Mm -hmm. And the idea, you know, I, I had this experience once where I was, uh, oh, my God, it was in my first uh, law firm. And there was a white guy there and he, you know, it was one of those law firm events and he was clearly too drunk. I, I keep telling people, stop drinking with your, with your folks. Drink club soda. You ain't got yeah. to lose your mind. But he, he's drunk and he's fully into it. And he says to me, you know, you people, <laughs> he was in, the, he was in his bag right now. He was in the, He had already gone off into the, you know, into the distance by having a, a vigorous debate about Israel and Palestine. Okay, so that was something that you just did not do at that time. And he's talking about how, you know, well, you guys should be glad for slavery because it got you out of bleepity bleep Africa. You got Jesus. I mean, you've got. So basically, he was saying you should be glad that you was enslaved because you could still be a heathen. But you are here in, you know, white Christian America. This was a white drunk boy saying this. But I have heard similar comments from black people who have said, and they mm -hmm. clearly did not take an Africana studies course of any sort, but they have said, well, you know, slavery was the price we had to pay to come out of the darkness of the dark pagan continent into the white beauty of Jesus embrace. What are your thoughts about that type of thinking about that type of justification for slavery on the back of Christianity? 
I think that, you know, I always tell my students at the beginning of the class when I teach this, I'm going to start off here, that if you tell me anything like that in your essay or anything that you write for me, you get an automatic F for the entire course. Well, there we go. <laughs> because because that's a lie from the pit, like they say in the church. And this is this is something that, you know, to, to be honest, this was a big embrace of people in the 19th century, both black and white, because mm-hmm. that was how people were talking about civilization back then. Civilization was equated with Christianity. Anybody who didn't practice Christianity was uncivilized. And so their way of skewing things and telling black people this was that you weren't civilized until you got Christianity. Christianity right. made you civilized. It made you have a family. It made you not be polygamous. It made you, you know, practice worshiping one God instead of many gods, right? Or being, mm. you know, with your with your ancestors. So this idea has really twisted up a lot of black people yeah. because that's not the case. I mean, if you go out, start reading slave narratives, and, and even if, if you just read Frederick Douglass and see how bad the Christian white slaveholders treated this enslaved, mm. you will understand that, that that Christianity does not mean you can't be racist. Right. And I think this is the most important thing because that lie that gets perpetuated about slavery, that mm. that makes you a better Christian or whatever, that ain't, that that's not it's not right. And it's, it's actually based in distortions of scripture because people want to use that as a way to keep people enslaved. Yeah. And so if you are a black person saying this today, or you're a black person who believes that, you believe that you should just be a slave. Mm. And that that is your because rightful that's what place they use to keep you slave, enslaved. Right. 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 And when I uh, when I you know, when I was in college and I was an Africana studies major, which I think I to this day, I declare that was the best decision I made academically ever in life. And I keep telling people, if you are lucky enough to go to college, you need to either double major in Africana studies or have it as a very strong minor, because we don't just need black doctors. We need black doctors with a black consciousness. We don't just need black lawyers. We need black lawyers with a black and African centered consciousness. But when we're talking about uh, the the type of Christianity that enslaved African people were forced to embrace as compared to the type of Christianity that white slave owners were actively embracing. We are not talking about the same religion or and in some cases, we're not even talking about the same Bibles. Can, can you speak to sort of the differentiation of what was being taught in white slave owning Christian spaces as opposed to what was being taught in black enslaved Christian spaces? Well, what's getting taught in white Christian enslaved spaces is, is basically this. Slaves be obedient to your masters. Look at them, Nestimus. Look at all this. Uh, God gave, put us in power to to take care of you, and and that we are the ones who are supposed to be over you. Uh, see where Scripture says everything about slavery. This is this is you. You are you know you are cursed because you know you are the people of Ham, and that means that you looked at Noah's nakedness and so you got cursed forever, mm. right? And these are the ways in which people are told that they need to be enslaved. But for, you know, those who are enslaved, they had a, what we call a hermeneutic suspicion. They knew better than that. And so mm-hmm. they looked at stories like Exodus to say, God is going to deliver us, right, yeah. Yeah. From, from the slaves, you know, people who understood. They, they got the picture, right? But for a lot of people, they heard these, these things about, you know, you're going to go to heaven, you know, and it, and you'll be free there. They heard those things, and they and they ingested them, mm. and that kept them in bondage. Wow. And so, I think what we have to look at is the kind of double speak that we hear from you know slaveholding Christianity, as Frederick Douglass called it, 
and the kinds of white evangelical Christianity today that still says things that will enslave people that are in Scripture that are distortions of what Scripture really says. Hmm. So having heard all of this, and I know some of y'all are still clutching your pearls, let them loose. It's all right. (laughs) It's going to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) How should this history, now that we are aware of it, we we have your phenomenal book that people, I highly recommend you go get this, White Evangelical Racism. It's a phenomenal piece. How should knowledge of this history reshape how black Christians interact with the Christian faith, largely speaking? Oh, I, one, I hope it makes them suspicious. Mm. And and that probably sounds like a strange thing to say, but I think what they need to do is to start to really question the things that are being taught and who you're reading and, and you know, for your devotional time. If you're reading somebody from the Southern Baptist, you need to think about that because that's a whole, de, you know, denomination that's based in, you know, slavery. And the kinds of things that they talk about today, they're anti-black. They don't want to think about that. That's number one. Two, if you got a white Jesus up in your house, take it down. Mm. I mean, because I'm sorry, you, you, I'm sorry, ma'am, 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 you, ma'am. You I, I need you to say huh? that again. I, I just need you to slowly say yeah. that again for those whose spirits just rose up and blocked their ears. I just need you to say that one more time, please. Uh, take that white Jesus down in your house. Mm. Give it to the Salvation Army Can because you it? are not worshiping <laughs> the real visions of Jesus Christ. That ain't mm. how he looked. Mm. He was a Middle Eastern man. He was dark and swarthy skinned. And he had some hair that wasn't straight and wasn't blonde. That Warner Salmon Jesus was something that they sold to all of y'all, and y'all need to get that white Jesus out your house. Mm. I mean, if you want to start somewhere, start there. Because, I mean, you need to think about what kind of songs are you singing in your church? I mean, I know a lot of people go to these things like Hillsong and these charismatic churches where they just sing in the brush angels' wings and all this other stuff. <laughs> and if they don't, you know, if you only hear gospel music or any kind of ethnic kind of worship, praise and worship music only on specific holidays, Mm. then you need to start questioning what's happening in the church. Who is in the leadership of your church? You know, you read this book, you go see all kinds of things about Billy Graham. You're going to see a lot of figures in here that you thought were really good, and they're really not. Who are the figures that are revered in your church? Mm. Is it always the white pastors or white women, you know, leadership? I'm going to hurt some of y'all, Joyce Meyer. Oh, no! I'm sorry. I was raised on her and 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 Hagee and all of them. Ms. And Hagee and Dr. all of them. Butler. I, I need you to understand that all of this stuff, you have to start listening to them through the lens of understanding what kind of racist stuff that they're really telling you when they're teaching you. Because mm. I know black black women love Bible teaching. So there's some great Bible teachers out here, and they're not racist. Mm. I'm reminded of when I was in uh, elementary school and I was junior Bible quiz champion. Let me tell you, I was, I, I had my little really? box of junior Bible quiz trivia. You couldn't tell me I could not get through all of those questions. And I remember, <laughs> Lord help me. Thank you for deliverance. Um, I remember at certain points seeing those images of white Jesus in the, the uh, announcements, the church bulletins that go out on the walls and the stained glass and, and even in black churches. And we were a military family. So we were in, we got to participate in a whole host of denominations. We were very Kojic at one time. And then we moved into assemblies mm-hmm. of God at once. So, you know, we, we run the oh, gamut. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I remember having conversations with Sunday school teachers and other kids in my classes. And I would be like, well, why is Jesus white? And, and they said, well, because Jesus is white. <laughs> like there wasn't even like a whole lot. They had no answer for you. No right? answer. Wow. No answer. And I remember one in particular basically saying, well, it doesn't matter what color Jesus was. And my response was, well, then how come 
why is he white? If it doesn't matter, why can't Jesus be black? If, if we're saying it, we don't know. And if we you so skin like, you know, hair like wool, skin like bronze, that's more like me than mm-hmm. it is like you. Exactly. So if it doesn't it matter, like and, and I just, I couldn't understand. And so I, I came up with this scenario. It was like a what if, what if one day overnight, all of the white Jesuses were replaced with black Jesus, like just in the stained glass. Like you just woke up one day and the white Jesus in your Bible or on your wall was just automatically turned to black. What would that do? It would cause, I think, such an existential crisis <laughs> in the, the psyche of Americana that I, I don't know that we would be able to cling to the same religion the way that we do. I got one last question for you, and I'm so grateful for this conversation because I think that this is exactly the type of critical analysis we need to have for every area of our life. We are in a very political moment. We're always in a political moment. We're black people. But we are in a moment where we have the ability to elevate some questions in ways that perhaps we did not in the past. And in addition to throwing away those white Jesus pictures and and asking who are the figures revered in your church, you see I was taking notes from what you were saying, should we also be making demands the way we see white evangelicals doing politically? Should we also be taking back that political con? How do we do that? What would that look like? Well, I think part of the the thing is is that the black church can always mobilize for voting, but when it when somebody gets in the office like Biden right now, uh, what do you get? You get a couple of crumbs thrown your way, and that's that. Ooh. So I think the black church has to be even more political, because see, here's here's a secret: the, the white evangelicals took a page from the civil rights movement and organized themselves. Mm. They stopped critiquing it, and in the seventies, they organized around issues like abortion, uh, homosexuality, and other stuff that they wanted, and they got it mm. because they were powerful and they and they leaned on their legislatures. And they leaned on the people that they elected, and they handpicked people to elect. We go and vote for people who, you know, in the Democratic Party who say, oh, we're going to help you, blah, blah, blah. And then they get up there and they don't do anything for anybody. We need to take that, that playbook back mm. and, and use it to get the things that we need, especially in this Biden administration and in others. And whatever comes from this moment forward, because whether we're talking about assault rifles, whether we're talking about education, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, help and COVID relief. And some of that has already happened, which is great, but we don't need more mm-hmm. that black churches just can't mobilize around voting and then drop it. Oh, Dr. Butler, you just you can't step on everybody's toes at once now. I just I'm stepping on everybody. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm here because for it. I'm I think this it. is important. <laughs> it is. It really is. And I think that this is really a call to action for the body. If you are a part of the church body and you are a body showing up in black skin, then we need to start pressing, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we need to start pressing our church leadership. How are we mobilizing to ensure that fill in the blank is happening? What are, because I, I used yeah. to often say, listen, we will pray for, in the black church, we will pray for a job, a husband, uh, a, a child to get healed, uh, a house. But I said, you know, mom, <laughs> we used to have these debates in my house. It's like, mom, th- none of that requires Jesus. You could be an atheist and get a job or a house or get help for your kids. That don't require exactly. Jesus. How come in the black church we use our spiritual power, this power that connects us to the God that created the universe for stuff that an atheist and agnostic person can get just by filling out an application? We have this pattern of using our spirituality for money miracles, for, for helping me yeah. in this moment right now, but not necessarily with a vision for radically transforming society to be a more equitable space. Am I wrong on that? Am I pushing too far on that? What are, what are your thoughts there? 
No, no, I think this is really true. You're not pushing too far. And I think one of the thing is, the important things is to remember about white evangelicals is that they didn't do just churches. They did these parachurch organizations like Focus on the Family, oh. American Family Association, um, you know, Family Research Council, all of those organizations that they formed pressed all of these, you know, evangelical politicians and press politicians to get the judges, to get, you know, lo- you know these, these federal judges and Supreme Court judges, right? This is why mm. Trump did everything that they did. We don't have that same structure with black churches. Mm. We're, always, we're always on the defensive. We're trying to, you know, make sure that somebody don't get killed in the streets and everything else, right? Right. You know, and, and this is why they're, they're having, you know, all these battles about Black Lives Matter and stuff right now. But churches needed to make these kinds of organizations so that they could mm. be just as powerful as these white evangelicals are. Because wow. white evangelicals are waning. They don't have the numbers, but they have the power and they got the money. Mm. And so until we figure out that we need to be doing the same kinds of strategic kinds of, you know, interventions for our communities, we're not getting anything. Wow. This is this is a call to action. And this is something that is within our complete and total purview. We don't need a government plan. We don't I, I keep saying there's so many things that we can do that don't require us to vote for somebody that don't require us to march this. The direction of the black church and organizing within black religious spaces to ensure the sanctity of black lives. That is completely within our grasp and ability to do. Dr. Anthea Butler, I am, I'm really hopeful that we can get you to come back on because I think this is a topic that is so necessary and this is a conversation that has got to keep happening and you are certainly one of the experts who is leading the charge and i have to thank you so much for being here today and dropping all the all the dimes yes go ahead and give her an applause go ahead yes please (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it i I come on anytime don't worry